Ezekiel chapter 22. It's been a while since we've been in this book, and I'm so glad again all of you are here. Every one of you, you're so special, and uh, we miss all that can't be here. You that are watching us online have been doing that faithfully. We really would love to have you here with us, but we understand when you can't thank God for technology that we can uh, that we can use it and do it. Oh, by the way, Tuesday night, I just almost let it forgive me. Uh, this week is Thanksgiving weekend. We're moving our service from Wednesday night to Tuesday night. We're going to have a special time in the presence of God, a special time of the Word, a special time of communion. And uh, so I hope everybody can make plans to join us on Tuesday evening. It'll be a great, great time in the Lord. Let me set this, this passage up to you as we get into it today. Uh, the book of Ezekiel is really an interesting book because it's in one of Israel's most darkest times. They have been carried uh, the, into Babylonian captivity. Things are happening. And God comes along and he said, the only reason you're here is for nobody else's fault but yours. And that's basically what he's saying to him. This is your fault. It is because of your sinfulness, because of the idolatry, because of all of these things that you're in the mess that you're in. Matter of fact, I don't want to read the whole chapter of verse 22, but I think I will start a little bit ahead of her place. Let's start at verse 27, Mindy, if we can. It says, her princesses in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, to get dishonest gain. Her prophets have plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions, divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the people have, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they were wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would, who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my fury or my indignation on them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their heads, says the Lord of hosts. Father, thank you this morning for your word. And I pray, Holy Ghost, as you put it in my heart, that you will speak through me. And I pray that every person in this room will be ready to hear and receive. And I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 I want you to look at this passage of scripture just for a moment. I, I didn't release the kids, right? Yeah, they're gone. Uh, in this passage of scripture, there's a, there's a whole lot of things as you read through it uh, that God said was happening with the people. Honor was out the door. They had shed blood. They had oppressed the strangers. They had filled his house uh, with defilement 
everything under the sun, if you read through, matter of fact, I've, I've, I've under, underlined and highlighted a lot of, of chapter 22 of what was going on. But the one thing that captivates me is this. God said, I really did not want to bring vengeance upon my people, but I had no one to make up the gap. No one, as though I had searched all over the land, looking for somebody, looking through the place that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I not destroy the city. Now, this really isn't going to be a downer message, so don't anybody get that way, all right? But I'm using this passage, and I'm going to turn it upwards in just a moment. When he's talking about a gap here, He's using an analogy or he's using the picture of the walls of the city because in that day, the greatest protection of the city, the greatest protection of that people was that they were in the walls of the city. But for some reason, a gap had been made. And when the gap was made, it left an opening for the enemy. It left an opening for the forces of darkness, for everything to penetrate it. And God is saying it was the same way. He, like this, he said, I wanted to hold my fury. I wanted to withhold my vengeance from them. But nobody was filling the gap. Nobody was standing in that place to say, Lord, turn it back. This is not your will. This is not your desire. Matter of fact, in this point, it would have been an intercession before God for this people of somebody to get before their face and say, God, we have sinned against you. We have sinned against heaven. We repent for our and we repent for our people. And I believe if God had found one, listen, listen to the verse. He said, if I could have just found one person that would have stood that things could have been a whole lot different. Last week, I asked you or I ministered to you from the word of the Lord that he put in my heart that God asked us, can we, uh, will we trust him? This week, I want to minister to you from this aspect. Will he be able to depend on us? See, it's one thing for me to be able to trust God, but can God trust me? There's so many pictures, so many stories I wanted to bring to you as God began to download this, but he, he gave me this passage of Scripture uh, uh, pretty quickly. But, but, but understand, if you don't think what you do and I do matters, you and I are greatly mistaken. And God's ability to depend on us is so, so great, far more than what we could ever imagine. I, I can't help but think for a moment, the Savior of the world was put into the hands of a little girl, of a young teenager, I should say. I've heard history say anywhere from 14 to 18 years of age. The Savior of the world. She's, in, she's betrothed or she's engaged to a young man by the name of Joseph. We'll use this story here at the Christmas time. I didn't plan on throwing this in, but I can't get it out of my spirit for a moment, so I'll use it. So, so here, Joseph has already come. You've got to understand in the culture of the day, Joseph has come to Mary's father. He's not mentioned in the scripture, but no doubt he's come and he's agreed with the father. Hey, I want this young lady to be my wife and they 
they've made an arrangement. I don't know there was exchange. It's called a bride price. There was a dowry that, that dowry that was paid in the culture of that day. An agreement was made. And so now this young lady by the name of Mary is betrothed to this one named Joseph. And Joseph said, I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to provide a home for her. I'm going to see that everything is well. No doubt he's exchanging sheep, maybe money, whatever. He's given, and now the process is underway. He's getting ready, and Mary's back at home going through the process of purity and everything that would happen for her to be married. And one day, an angel of the Lord appears and says, Mary, don't be afraid, for you have found great favor with God. Don't be afraid, Mary. Something is getting ready to happen in your life. She said, the angel said, I've been sent to declare to you that you're going to conceive and you're going to bring forth the son and his name is going to be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I want you to think about this interaction with this angel and Mary. Mary's hearing this from an angel, not from Joseph. And this angel says, you're going to bring forth the son. And Mary's looking at this saying, wait a minute. I know someday I've got a dream that I'm going to have children because that was the greatest dream of a mother, in, of a lady in that day was to be able to bear children and especially a son to keep the lineage going. But Mary now is pondering something. Wait a minute, this is coming faster than I can imagine. I, I don't know, you're talking about the son of God, the savior of the world that's never been on my radar. It's never been in my dream, but the angel said this one is going to be from God and Mary looks at the angel and no doubt she's got a lot of questions first of all that this angel would even appear to her we don't know what he looks like he must have been he must have been as we would know what angelic maybe glow I don't know that's why the angel said don't be afraid of me but he said you're going to bring forth the son and she looks at him and says but how is this going to happen seeing I don't have a man? I, I know not a man. I am pure. I, I have not laid with anyone. I, I, I'm not. Me and Joseph, hasn't, we haven't gone through the ceremony yet. How, how, how is this going to be? And he said, this isn't going to be with Joseph. This is going to be with heaven. For the highest will overshadow you. And that which is conceived within you shall be of the Holy Ghost. And Mary, the word said, she pondered these things in her heart. And then she had to make a decision in a moment's time. Be it unto me according to your word. And I want you to think about the trust that God just put in a man. The first point I want to bring to you this morning is... Anything that God is going to do on the earth, God is going to do through a man. So here's the thing. God is looking for men on the earth. I'm looking for men. And when I say men, I'm not exempting women. I'm talking about mankind. Mankind was both male and female. 
So God is saying, I'm looking for a man. I've sought all over the place that would stand in the gap. Somebody that would hear what I'm doing and would stand in the place for me that I don't destroy the land. Back there, there was no Savior. But God's plan was... I'm going to bring a Savior into the world. And when he's not here, I'll bring one from heaven. But God, even though Jesus was the Son of God, he still was planted into the womb of a woman and he came forth very much, completely, totally, 100% mankind. And Jesus, the Savior of the world, came through a man. Now think about this for a moment. Now, Mary takes this thing on. And the moment I believe she said, be it unto me, I believe was the moment she conceived. See, I believe that's why you and I need to be in agreement with the words of the Lord. And not the words of the enemy or the words of darkness. Because we're all agreeing to something. And the moment you agree to something is the moment something is conceived on the inside of you. That you might have to carry. And so now this conception is going on. And so at the same time, remember, she's betrothed to to Joseph. And by law now, Joseph could come. And if he realized this young lady is pregnant, maybe he's not seen her for three or four months. He comes back maybe to have dinner with her one night. He sees that something has transpired in her. You know, he's going to say, hey, who have you been with? But instead, in a dream. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and said, Don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of God. And she's going to bring forth the son. He will be the son of the highest. His name will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph, being a just man and a righteous man, had to make a decision at that very moment. Do I believe this? Do I embrace this? Or do I push this off? And you have to understand the importance of Joseph even being in the life of Jesus. Because the first picture of the New Testament that we see is really the picture of family. It's the picture of father. It's the picture of son. It was a depiction that God wanted us to walk in. That we are the family of God. Joseph had to make a decision. At that moment, I'm going to marry her, but I can't be with her. Because the scripture says that he didn't know her until after Jesus was born. Man, that would have been a tough assignment. Come on, guys. Y'all are awful quiet this morning. Maybe I downed y'all too much a while ago. But what a tough responsibility. I don't know if I could walk through that. I don't know if I've got enough God. I would hope I could if something like that would happen. But I want you to see what God was saying to Joseph. Joseph, I am going to trust you with the Savior of the world. And now Joseph had to keep that in mind. Mary has to keep this in mind. As she's nurturing him is the trust factor that God had both in Mary and he had in Joseph. My question is for you and I this morning, can God trust? Trust us with the same ability that he had put into Mary and Joseph. See, Israel was in this place of trouble. And there was no redeemer. 
there was no Savior. God said, I found none. So the plan had already been from the foundation of the world that Jesus would come to die and to give his life for all mankind. And we read in the book of, in the Gospels, in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the story of Jesus going to the cross. And one of the things that happened with Jesus on the cross after going through one of the most horrendous nights that a man could ever go through, as he's hanging suspended between between heaven and earth, hanging by a thread of life. He breathes words like this. Two things, and you need to pay attention. He said, it is finished. And the second thing was, he said, into your hands I now commend my spirit. Here's the first one I want to talk with. We all know what he finished at the cross. We all know that he completed the assignment of salvation for all mankind. Not for a few, but all mankind. No matter what color of your skin, nationality, no matter what you're doing. Jesus died for all of us. It's finished. It satisfied the heart of the Father. He was the supreme sacrifice that was made. But then, I want to push it a little bit further, if you will allow me. And I believe he was saying something like this. Father, when he cried, it's finished i done the assignment that you gave to me. I completed the work. I, I've completed everything you had asked of me. It was done. His assignment, the trust that the Father put in him. And you have to understand, for 33 years, the Bible said he was in all points tempted like you and I were. And so therefore, he had every opportunity. He could have boarded the right to be the Savior of the world. Are you okay? My question for you is, can he trust us? Can he depend on us in this hour to finish what he's doing in the earth? Because I believe when he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I believe he was saying, I've finished the work of salvation for all mankind. Now I'm going to release it into your church. Father, I'm going to put it into their hands now to take to the world. And let everybody know that their sins have been forgiven. That the sacrifice has been made. The price has been paid. That they don't have to go through the vengeance and the fury of the Lord into your hands Father I commend my spirit I believe he's talking about you and I that word commend there means a couple of things first of all it means to protect that word commend there also means to it means to set forth so everything that he'd done on the earth was for all mankind. He didn't come to take it back to heaven. He would take the blood and put it upon the mercy seat. But now his spirit would be left upon the earth. And it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Can he depend on you? Can he find you faithful in this hour to fulfill everything that he's asking us to do? I believe this moment is full of more of God than what you and I could ever imagine. I believe this is the greatest hour and I believe revival in the, is in the land and I believe awakening is here. I believe, Miss Tanya, it's the time for the greatest harvest that we've ever seen. And if I have a word to the churches, I've got my last regional meeting coming up in, next, in a week from uh, Tuesday. My word to bring to them that I feel so deeply in my heart is get the people ready to handle the harvest. It's harvest time. And you and I must focus upon the 
will of God that before he comes, a great ingathering of his people is going to come in. And we're going to have to be all hands on deck to take care of them. Can he entrust his harvest to us? I believe we've got a challenge upon us in the day. We're being pulled left and right with everything that we need. Matter of fact, this wasn't the first time that a gap stander stood in the way. I could go back to Abram when Abraham or Abram and Sarah came into the land. And you know the story, he built an altar and then he goes into Egypt. And Abimelech sees, King Abimelech sees Sarah and sees what a beautiful woman she is. And he's going to take her for his own. But the hand of the Lord stopped him and said, don't you do it because she is married. And this is what the Bible said in Genesis chapter 20. She is married to a prophet. She belongs to a prophet of mine. And... You need him to pray for you so at that moment you release her and let her go back so that Abram will pray for you and you'll be whole. Go read the story. When Israel had raised up the golden calf before God and God said, he, he said, look, you no more got out and your people have already turned back to idolatry, paraphrasing in Zach. It was Moses that came down off the mount. He had broken the, he had broken the tables and he came back off the, off the mount and he stood before the Lord. And this is what he said. Yeah, God, I know you want to wipe them out. I know you want to destroy them all. But what is the Egyptians going to think about you now? You could get them out but you couldn't keep them you couldn't do what you said you would do not only that not only that father you made a covenant with Abraham and Moses reminded him of the covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob I remind you that you cannot fail and because of that the fury of the Lord was only released to a to a minimal of what could have been happening at that moment because Moses was willing to stand in the face of God. When David decided that he no longer needed to trust God, that he would put his confidence and his trust in his, in his armies that he had with him, the anger of the Lord was kindled. And God appeared to him and said, All right, you've sinned against me, paraphrasing again. I'm going to give you three choices. I'm going to bring plague on the land. I'm going to allow your enemies. you got three choices. I think one of them was a plague. One of them was that your enemies are going to chase you for so many days. And there was one more thing. But David fell before God and he said God I trust your mercy and I trust your grace and so he threw himself to the mercy of God and a plague come upon the land and many people began to die but the moment they began to die what did David do? David fell before the Lord and said God you're bigger than this. God you're more gracious than this. God you're more loving than this and the word said that God pulled back his hand because of the intercession because David David was willing to stand in the gap. There's something you and I have got to come to an understanding with. I believe in the greatest revival. Remember, we're talking about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 60 says something like this. Arise and shine for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A darkness is going to cover the earth. And a gross darkness is going to be upon the people. But my light is going to shine forth. 
in the middle of that darkness. And if you'll keep reading, and I don't want to read every verse. He said, I'm going to bring your sons and daughters from afar. He said, I'm going to bring great wealth in. There's going to be many great things happen, but notice the scenario. He said, it's dark. And not only is it dark, gross darkness is upon the people. Church, I don't know how how much more gross darkness it can be than what is upon the land right now when men no longer know who they are women no longer know who they are our children are convinced they don't know who they are they're identifying with the animal kingdom instead of the kingdom of God how much gross darkness can be upon the land but listen to the word of God that's when the light is coming on And he said this, he said that light comes on and Jesus comes on and Isaiah prophesies in verse chapter 60 verse 1. He said the spirit of the Lord is upon, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim deliverance to the captive, the opening of the prison uh, uh, to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. Uh, We get real excited about the first three parts of that, but we miss part of what Isaiah saw, a day of vengeance. Church, I think we've come to this spot to believe in church life and church history. You know that this life is going to be all peaches and cream and God's just going to come and everything is going to be well and there's going to be no fury. There's going to be no judgment upon the land. But that's not what Isaiah saw. That's not what Ezekiel saw. But I want to remind us of something. I want you to turn. If they'll put it up on the screen, you don't have to turn there. Jesus comes on the scene in chapter 18 of, uh, of chapter 4 of the book of Luke, verse 18. And he quotes, he's come into the temple. He's just starting his earthly ministry. He walks into the temple, picks up the book, and begins to read as the custom of the day was. And he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim deliverance to the captive. The recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those that are bruised. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then what did he do? He closed the book. And he sat down and he said, today, this is fulfilled in your ears. You want to know what today is? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of healing. Today is the day of deliverance. Today is the day of freedom. Today is the day when everything can be turned in a man's life. He can rearrange everything. That is today. But... Jesus closed the book at that point. But there's one phrase he left out. The day of vengeance of our God. Because that time hasn't come. Why? Because he's not willing that one would perish He's not willing that anybody. I mean, God is so long-suffering and God is so gracious and God is so good. That he's willing. But he said, I need a man. I need somebody that will stand for me now. I have placed my spirit into your hands. You want to know if I really truly believe this. 
I, I believe it with all my heart. If we're going to see revival in our land, we've got to think beyond the church service on a Sunday morning. And we've got to think about the life that we live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We've got to get out of this thing that we're waiting for some hero to come in. We want some super-powered meeting that only a building will hold only a few hundred or maybe a few thousand people. Why millions around us aren't near excited outside is what's going on the inside. And we walk out and we feel good, but we're doing nothing with what just happened on the inside. Hello. Are you okay? I wish y'all would help me preach today. He said, give me a man. Give me a man. But I don't just need any kind of man. Here's the second point I want to get to. I need a man that will do my will. I need a man that will do my will. Hear my heart. Hear my voice. And do my will. You know, it's interesting. God's not looking for just any man. He's not looking for perfection. Listen, this is what religion has done to us. We're not ready. We're not capable. We're not able. I've come to learn this. All of us can be religious. We just don't believe it. Really, we, we all can. I can. Because religion puts everything into my box and says unless it's done in my box, it really can't be done. And that's where, where it lays. I've had some great friends over the past that used to preach on this platform. I remember one, I'll just leave him nameless. I love him dearly, a powerful man of God doing great things for the kingdom. And this is by no means a body slam. But I, I remember years ago there began to be a shift and a change in his, his ministry. That he would come to this church. Man, he was just a young dude. He would come dressed in a three-piece suit. Man, preach the paint off the wall, prophesy, do all kinds kinds of things and then all of a sudden things begin to shift now he takes the suit off he puts his jeans on, t-shirt, grows out a beard, got tattoos up both sides down, arm, uh, about both arms and all of that kind of wonderful stuff. And, and then this becomes the philosophy. What God is after is authentic relationship. And I heard that over and over, not from him, but many others. It began to be the sound of God is after authentic relationships. Maybe like another friend of mine in another city just said, you know what, we're going to do church. We're going to do church for people that don't like church. So you know what they did? They got a building. They had service. They had a time. They had a, they had a flow. They had worship. They had a coffee bar. They had all of this, but this is the name. We're a church for those that don't like church. And I'm thinking, dude, you're doing nothing different than I'm doing. I just don't have a coffee bar. See, it really falls into the line of what we think in our own religion, our own idea of what things are. None of that is wrong. 
None of that is wrong. I really want us to, I want us as a church to get bigger and mature more to realize that God uses people to get things done. We saw it on this platform on Thursday night to take a, a young black guy. He's, he's getting up. He's getting up in age. And this guy has been solid from the first time we met him years ago. And he goes into churches and he rocks the place and he'll have young people begin to follow him and he's not just looking for the average church goer he's looking for the kid that's messed up he's looking for those that their life is a shambles and he's got he's no doubt how many hundreds that he has been a role in their life over the years what you didn't realize that some of this team was all new to him some of them have just been traveling with him for the last few months some of them were still fighting through. Brother Eddie said, I work with them. If they're working, I'll work with them. I'm pressing them. Yes, he's looking for purity. Yes, but they didn't start off that way. Can he trust us? Can he, can he trust us? Will he be able to depend on us to fulfill his will of what he's called us to do? Not everybody. I, I saw an advertisement the other day. Come to the fun church. I thought, well, that's okay. Then I go down the road and I see a church named this. Come to the courageous church. I thought, well, that's cool. What does that mean? And then I go to another church and I see the first church. I see the second church. And, and then I see, well, we're just whatever. Come. And, and here's the whole deal. Paul said in the book of Philippians, he says something like this. They go and they come to Paul and said, hey, there's some guys over there. They're not doing it like you, Paul. Paul said, it's okay. Some are really doing this out of spite. Some are not doing it right. I'm paraphrasing, you know. But he said, nonetheless, the gospel is being preached. It's reaching people. But you know what the enemy uses? He can get my focus on what I don't like. And the moment I get my focus on what I don't like, I'm missing what I'm supposed to do in the place I do like. Hello, are you okay? I told you it was a good, it's really a good message. It's up. I want freedom. I, I saw something this week I'm going to challenge you with. I just want to be in the center of God's will. I want that more than anything. That's always been my prayer. I continue to pray. I don't want to be ahead of you. Don't want to be behind you. I don't want to be on the left, don't want to be on the right, I want to be right in the center. And many times I'm saying, God, don't leave us out of what you're doing. That's always my prayer. But I saw something with Adam and Eve. God entrusted him so much that he said, I'm giving you the world. God placed his vision that I want the world filled with those that are just like me. And Adam, I'm giving you this vision. And I'm giving you the ability. And Charlie, he was created in the image, in the likeness of God. If of all the creation, nothing carried the power that Adam had. But God did one thing. He set a boundary for him. And I want you to think about this. Because so many times, this is where crazy, charismatic people get off track. 
Well, I can do whatever I feel because I'm free in the Lord. And we use freedom for an excuse to really do our will. So what did God do? The only boundary he set was one tree. I've never looked at it like that before. I thought this was his faith. No, it was his boundary. And I want to tell you, here's why. Because if Adam really fully realized how powerful he was, he could have ruled everything just like the creator that made him. And if sin entered into his life, in which it did, which it did, it would throw him into darkness and he would still carry a great measure of power but he would use it for selfish and self-indulgence and his own purpose and would destroy the very plan that God would do. And God had said in his heart, and God took that tree, and the moment Adam sinned, this is all that it did to him because still Adam and Eve still were fruitful. They still bore children. They still had the ability to fill the land. But God, at the sin, put him in darkness. And the darkness kept him from seeing the real plan of God so that he would not take his own plan, that he would not take his own plan and try to overthrow God and therefore ever eternally be lost. That's exactly what Satan did. I know I see it in your eyes. Some of you are really thinking about what I've just said. But what did the anointed cherub do? Lucifer, the anointed cherub that came in, that was in the throne of God, sat in the boardroom when everything was being made. All of a sudden, he gets this idea. I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will do this. I will rise above the highest. I will do this. And God booted him out of heaven where he will spend forever in a lake of fire is what the Bible says. He will ever be there. And those that choose to follow him instead of God will forever be with him. God is looking for somebody to say, not my will, but his will. And every one of us are going to have the opportunity along the journey. Every one of us will have an opportunity to put our will in stake instead of the will of God. It happened for Abraham. It happened for Moses. It happened for, it happened for David. It happened for some. It happens for all of us. We have even Jesus came to this point at the garden. He said, Father, if it be possible... If there's any other way, if you could do this, I don't, if you can do it, Lord, Father, let's do this another way. I know what you've assigned to me, but this isn't what I'd like to go through. I'd like to do this. I got a better idea. But yet the will of the Father burnt so deeply in, in the sun that he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus would go on to the cross to finish it. He's looking. I really believe for some of us and for many of us, and I believe that includes all of us, to find his will for our life. 
And so many times there's a wheel within a wheel. And right now I really truly believe even if you've been listening to the to the prophets and all of that. Yes, it's a time of great healing. Yes, it's a time of signs, wonders, and miracles. But why is that all there? Why did God announcing that? And that's what we get excited about. We're going to do miracles. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see signs and wonders. Why is all that there for? First time we see Jesus doing any ministry, he's, he's doing one thing, Matthew chapter 4. He begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And as he preaches the gospel of the kingdom, this is what happens. People are being healed. Not only are people being healed, miracles were taking place. I can see, I can believe the most extraordinary miracles were happening. How you know it? Because his fame began to be noised abroad. And he began to cast out the demons. He began to set the people free. Not only did they begin to set them free, they began to bring them to Jesus. The whole purpose of the signs, wonders, and miracles isn't for you to have. For you and I have a signs and wonders service for us that believe. It's for those that don't believe so that they can come and receive Jesus. And if you and I can believe this, if you and I can believe it, there's a miracle in you to happen every day. If you and I could just give ourselves to the Holy Spirit to follow Him enough to say, I'm going to trust you out there. Even when I don't have a worship band behind me, I don't have that ooey-gooey feeling. I just know that His presence is in me and He wants to work through my life. Okay, I better land this jet. Here's the third reason. He said, I need a man that will do my will, that will finish and complete the assignment of the earth. See, I believe we're in completion time. The kingdom is being established. This, I know we got a lot of people we can think different in this room. And it's all right. But it's interesting. God is a finisher. I, I'm not started anything new. If God raises you up today, you're not starting something new. It may be new for you, but what you're doing is only finishing your part of the finishing purpose of what God started before the foundation of the earth. We're on the finishing run. I believe in the book of Exodus, it says something like this. When God told Moses, or, or, let me back up even there, back up before that. God chose Moses, He's getting, not, not Moses, Noah. God is getting ready to wipe out the earth. Because of the sinfulness, the wickedness of the earth. And he finds a man by the name of Noah. And this is what the word said. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It didn't say Noah was perfect by any means. It didn't say any of that. Matter of fact, it just realized the grace of God. God saw something in Noah and God extended his grace to him. He entrusted to him. He said, Noah, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to cleanse the earth. I need you to do something that's never been done before. And God said, this is going to happen. You're going to build a boat and I'm going to bring your family. I'm going to bring those that are getting, I believe anybody. There could have been others, no doubt, got on that boat with them, but they refused to do it. He said, I'm going to bring some of the animals, the pairs of the animals, you know the story. And the Bible said it didn't happen till Moses finished the boat. Then the animals started coming. I am convinced of this, that sometime the reason we're not seeing the things that we want to see is because we really don't have a finishing attitude and we haven't equipped our, we haven't prepared ourselves for the way God wants to do so that he could bring his harvest to us.
Hello? God said to Moses, build me a sanctuary that I can come and dwell among the people. Have them bring me an offering. Have them build it. God gave them a plan. God gave them a pattern. He said, this is how I want you to do it. But God didn't show up until the word said this. And Moses finished according to the plan of God. It was finished. He completed it. And God swept in and dwelt among the people. Solomon had it in his heart. David had it in his heart to build a temple. And y'all know the stories. The worship team is coming back to play. David had it in his heart to build, to build a temple. And so it starts going up. And when Solomon had finished, according to the pattern that had been given by his father David, by the Spirit, that then the glory of the Lord came and it filled and it rested upon the place. It's interesting to me, the words of Jesus were, I'm finished. I'm finished. The eternal one even said, I'm finished. I completed my assignment. I completed what I was supposed to. Even Paul said it like this. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I believe we need to get a finishing attitude. I really believe that we need to see that things on this earth, I don't know how long they're going to be. I know God's going to do great things. I believe it. And I, I believe we're in it. His kingdom is going to be revealed. The Bible says this, according to Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 11. It says something like this. It says, and this gospel shall be preached to, to all nations as a testimony. And then shall the end come. I'm telling you, the gospel's being preached around the world. There never was a time in history that so much gospel went out over the airways as the last two years in the midst of COVID. Matter of fact, kind of reminds me of the book of Acts when the church wouldn't do it. In the early church, they wouldn't do. God gave them an instruction. He said, I want you to go and take this gospel to the world. They wouldn't do it. So what did God do? He stirred up a soul. And he sent Saul to persecute the church. And it drove them, Donnie. It pushed them. And this is what the Bible says. And the word of the Lord increased. Last year during COVID, every church that I know, I mean, even in places I didn't even know they had an internet. They're live streaming from Africa to the Middle East. And everywhere you go, people were. People were watching church. The gospel was being preached. Could it be church? That maybe, I, I, I don't know, is, will he come as a pre-trib? Will he come as a mid-trib? Will he come as a post-trib? I'll be honest, I don't know. I've even heard some say, you guys can forget about that. Everything is going to be done on the earth. Now let's just say it like that. If that's the case, are you ready for that? However it would show up. Do I really believe this? But think about it, not just for me. Not just for us who believe. But what about our family members? What about our co-workers? What about our neighbors? What about those that we walk by every day? 
If there is a time that Isaiah said, we'll come. And I believe the word. And whatever that looks like, if that time has come, the next verse to be declared will be to declare the vengeance of our God upon all evil and upon all sinfulness and wickedness in the earth. Jesus came as light to set those who were in darkness into light so that they could see the plan and the will of the Lord. And God's entrusted all of this into our hands. You don't do what I do. I may not ever do what any of you do. But every one of us in this room have a part to play in the finishing moments of time of how everything will look upon this planet. Paul's last thing was he poured into a Timothy. I had a friend take me by a graveyard as we'd go to the TV station in Marion years ago. My friend Jim Baggett, we rode together a lot. And we'd always, right there at 37 and 13 is a big cemetery. We're driving by it one day and Jim said something to me. He said, the most wealthiest ground is right there. I thought, dude, what are you talking about? That's a cemetery. He said, yeah. He said, but there's a lot of dreams. There's a lot of heart. There was a lot of plans that were from the Lord that never got dealt with or never was touched and they were buried. I don't know how necessarily always to tell us what to do. I'll be honest. I know I'm trying to get my heart because I believe it. I see it, church. I see a great harvest being gathered. I'm not just talking about for Christ's church. I believe for the church all over. And they're not coming, in my view that I see, they're not coming for this great service. I see them lined up. I scores of them like they're pushing to get in. Like refugees. And they're looking for hope. They're looking for help. They're looking for somebody to give them some measure of peace and some measure of freedom. And you and I hold that. I love great church. I love running the aisles. I, I, I love this. We saw the other night. I love that. Man, that's wonderful. I don't know if you saw me. If I could dance like I used to, I would have been up. I thought about it one time. It was just a thought. It was just a thought. That's all it was. Because I know I can't do it like I used to. I, I, I love that. That's wonderful. I wish we had. I don't know. I've always said this. I like our guys. I tell you why. Because guys like that don't stay long. They build you up and they draw. And when they go, people go with them. I like what we got. I like stability. I like it because I got people with passion, my guys, that have all, and 
been on this platform. They love the Lord and they're passionate about God. And we're building together. We're growing together. But I see this great harvest. And I believe God is asking us this question. God is asking us last week, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. But now he's asking us, can we, what was the word, what was my title of this thing? Can he depend on us? Last verse and I'm done. It's a parable in the scripture in Matthew 24 of a man that was evidently a very wealthy man, had a great, great ranch, a great amount of land and properties and such as that. And he decides to go into a far, to go on a journey. But as he goes, he calls his servants, his stewards. He says, come here. And he gave Larry a responsibility. He gave Chase some responsibility. He gave Crystal some responsibility. He gave each of them something, a responsibility. I'm entrusting this and put it in your hands to take care of what I've got. It didn't detail everything that he expected of them, but evidently they worked enough for him to know what he did expect. And he gave to each of them according to their ability. I don't have a world platform. I don't know that I want one. Because of the battle and warfare, I know I dream about stuff like that. But I don't know if I want that or not. Because every level you go to, there's a new devil you got to contend with. I found it interesting, a guy like Tony Kim. When he was here, we were having lunch the last time. Kim Clement came up in our conversation. And we were talking about Kim dying a few years ago with a brain, uh, a brain issue. Not only did Kim die, but a young man that traveled with him just a few years after died the same way. I said, I find that very strange. And I said, Kim was a voice to the world. He said, yeah. He said, uh, he said I believe this. The reason Kim died prematurely, he didn't have enough intercessors covering him for the warfare and the territorial spirit that he went up against. And I said, what about you? He said, I'm not going to DC. Not until the Lord speaks. Now here's a man that flows in all of this stuff and flows with the angels. And he says, I know where my assignment is. I'm not trying to step out of it. I'm not called to everything, neither are you, but all of us are called to something. And I believe we're all called to this harvest. Nobody's exempt. If you're here, you call this home, then I believe this with all my heart. You're called to help us fulfill what the Lord's doing here. No matter what that looks like, I believe that with all my heart. It's not just our assignment, my job, it's all of us that are here. We're not all called to do the same thing, but we're all a part of it. And I believe the greatest days 
of church, of the move of God, of everything we see is right now. Can he depend upon it? Stand to your feet with me this morning. Thank you, Lord.